Good morning and welcome to all of you. We're glad that you're here with us at Gateway this morning, especially if it's your first time. Hey, we want to welcome you. We're glad that you've chosen to worship with us here at Gateway Taze Valley. Now, I stand before you this morning, and there are some of you that might wonder why in the world you are here. And that is a valid question. Others of you might not know what I'm talking about, so I have an announcement to make, uh, and that is <laughs> that is uh, that Ruby Ann was born yesterday at 1.38, and uh, she, everything was great. She came out. She came right out, and uh, she's healthy and doing great, and uh, passed all her checks, and Ashley's doing great uh, as well. And uh, so they are uh, anxiously waiting my return here. So, first of all, y'all are lucky that we had a second service today. For, and then, second of all, uh, this might be a quick sermon. I, I don't know, but uh, you're not that lucky. Uh, all right. Well, I also wanted to say before we get into things today uh, that uh, if you were not with us last week, we started last week. Uh, we changed the time that we do our communion. So if you're here and you're wondering when is communion happening, it is happening. It's just going to happen after the sermon, and we'll explain that a little bit more uh, here in just a little bit. But we are in the middle of this series called Pray for One. Now, I hesitate to simply call it a series well, because it's more than that. Yes, we're only preaching on this for the next three weeks, but this is something that we're going to keep coming back to time and again for the rest of the year, and hopefully after that. I mean, we didn't paint the walls merely for three weeks. And if you think that, then I think you're severely underestimating how much I don't like painting, okay? Uh, I would not do this for just three weeks. But it's more than just my disdain for painting that's going to push us to continue with this for the rest of the year. In 2019, some of you might remember, we launched an all-in campaign, and the overall goal of that was to raise the spiritual temperature of our church. And I think that we are still reaping the seeds that were sown during that time. I believe that God was preparing us for a season that we didn't know about, but He did. Things that were to come in the year 2020 and 2021, because throughout the pandemic, our spiritual temperature remained high. Your, your giving remained just as high, if not higher, which was crazy. And we've actually gained people over the last couple of years. You know, there's churches that have had to close. There are churches that have lost a lot of people. And I'm so thankful that all of you have stuck with us through all of this and been here with us and invited your friends to join us. And if you've joined us in the last two years, man, we're excited that you are here as well. And I believe it all started with God and that all-in campaign. Where here we are with the end in sight, we weathered the storm, and it, it due in some part to the rise of our spiritual temperature that God started a year earlier. And now here we are, we're focused on this Pray for One campaign where we are looking to raise another temperature, the temperature of our prayer and evangelism. And while God may not be preparing us for something the size of a global pandemic, I do believe that the fields are ripe for the harvest right now if we're willing to step up and say yes to the opportunity to pray for and love those around us. I believe that God can bring revival to our church through this campaign. But as we've said before, revival starts in the heart of the individual. Revival isn't a three-night event. It's a movement of the heart, a decision to, that we make to get serious about following Jesus and as part of following him, sharing him with others. 
Revival will not happen in our world if Christians do not share Jesus with the lost. It's as simple as that. You want to see change in the world? Are you tired of how things are going? Then we better get serious about this and pray for one is an amazing way to do that. Now last week, we wrote down 250 names church-wide in our first week of getting specific. We've committed to 250 people, 250 children of God, 250 ones that we are going to be praying for, 250 souls that we are asking God to reach through us. And as a result of those prayers, some will come to know the Lord in a personal way for the very first time. Some will decide to come to their senses and return to the Father who is waiting for them with open arms. And some, well, they may not come for months or years, but the prayers that we are praying now and the opportunities that we are using right now will plant seeds in their heart for a time when God will grow them. 250 ones in just the first week. I mean, that's pretty exciting, right? We had 70 names just here at Taze Valley, 70 lives that we are praying for God to change. And you can see that we filled a big chunk of our walls already, but I think we can fill them up completely. I think we can make it so that you have to find a way to squeeze your name in in just a couple weeks. I believe that we can reach 250 ones at just this campus if all of us were to buy in and to heed the call that Jesus commissioned us for. Friends, the call of the Christ follower is not passive. It is an active calling to love and reach the lost for Jesus. Baptism is not the finish line. It is only the starting line when it comes to sharing the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. So let's fill up these walls with the names of those ones that we love enough to pray for so that God might use us to reach them. And if you haven't settled on your one yet, or if you're still figuring this whole thing out, or if, well, I know nobody would ever admit this, but if you really haven't been paying attention or thought about this outside of Sunday morning, uh, that's okay. Uh, we're not keeping track of you to make sure that you're participating in this. But I do hope that you'll jump in the game with us and get serious about changing the life of somebody that you love. Last week, my, my friend Bill, he shared with me an entry from his daily devotional that was on Matthew chapter 5 where Jesus says, you are the light of the world and let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Jesus was talking to us, to his followers, you are the light of the world. And so I wanted to share with you what the author of this devotion, Henry T. Blackaby, had to say about this passage of Scripture. Blackaby says, God's desire is to fill you with his light. He wants you to shine as a brilliant testimony of his presence and power in your life so that the darkness in the lives of those around you will be displaced by the light of God's glory. If, however, you notice the world around you becoming darker and darker, don't blame the darkness. It is simply doing what darkness does. The only remedy for darkness is light. If the world is becoming darker, the problem is not with the darkness. The problem is with the light. And it's easy for us to look at the darkness in the world. And boy, there's a lot of darkness going on right now. 
It's easy for us to look at that and throw up our hands and resign ourselves to a fate where evil wins in the end. But in doing so, we forget, we forget John's words in John chapter 1 when he says that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And we can blame the darkness and all the evil that is in the world, but the problem is with the light, my friends. We are the light and the problem is with the light. The only remedy for the darkness is light because the darkness cannot overcome the light. We are the light of the world, but light is only good if it shines. So let's let our light shine before men, the light of Jesus Christ. Let's pray for one and stop letting darkness win. Revival and change in this world isn't going to come through electing the right person or winning the right argument. It's going to come by sharing the light of Jesus Christ with others one at a time. This morning we're going to be going through the first part of Mark chapter 2 together. So if you have your Bible with you this morning, please turn to Mark 2 and I'll join you there shortly to go through it. You know, last week we talked about getting specific about our one and we wrote down the names. Today we want to look at, well, what comes next? You know, once you decide on who your one is, once you write down your name and commit to them, well, what do you do next? We're going to go through this story in Mark chapter 2 together to get an answer to that question. In this story, Jesus heals a paralytic, and we're going to look at not only that, but the lengths that his friends went to to get him there. So Mark chapter 2, starting with the first verse. Mark says, And when he returned, he is Jesus. When he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes are sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Blaspheming. <laughs> Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in a spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your heart? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk? But that, the, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Archaeologists have discovered homes in Capernaum, and they found that the largest homes had room for about 50 people inside if they were really packed in like they probably were here in this story. And just before the end of chapter 1, Mark says that people were coming to Jesus from every quarter. There's quite a crowd that's coming to see Jesus. This house is filled to the brim with people, and there are people outside forming a crowd as well. It's like a Sam's Club on a Saturday, and Jesus is preaching to all who will listen. And that's when four friends who had been praying for one went into action. These friends, they all had the same one, and it was their paralyzed friend. Perhaps they had been waiting for Jesus' return to Capernaum so they could bring their friend to see him. They've no doubt heard the stories of Jesus healing people of all kinds of ailments. 
If their friend was to be healed, they knew that Jesus was the one who could do it. Imagine then, carrying your friend all that way, this nervous excitement building up inside you only to see the massive crowd out front blocking the way. But that didn't stop them. Because they knew they had to do anything they could, whatever it took, to get their friend to Jesus. And so they go around the crowd, they go up on the roof, they remove the part of the roof right above Jesus, and they lower their friend right into the middle of the room while he's teaching. What an incredible moment this must have been. Now, some might have seen it as a disturbance or a nuisance, a, a distraction. I mean, how could they interrupt the teacher right in the middle? But Jesus saw it as a great act of faith. He saw that these friends would stop at nothing to get their friend healed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, when the four men carried him there that day, when they fought through the crowd, when they lowered it in, that's probably not what they were expecting to happen. But it's a good lesson for all of us to remember as we pray for one. And that's that your one's greatest need is a spiritual need. No matter what's going on in their life, your one's greatest need is a spiritual need. Your one may be in a bad marriage. They may be in an abusive situation. They may be suffering from an addiction to drugs or alcohol or pornography. They might be in financial trouble. Your one could have a life that is an absolute mess right now. They're really struggling right now. And you might think, wow, God, they really need deliverance from this. But whatever earthly ailments may afflict our one, this is not their greatest need. Your one's greatest need is a spiritual need. They need a personal life-saving relationship with the Savior. Their chief need is to repent and to be cleansed of their sin. Because without that, they could be healed of whatever ails them on this earth, be delivered from whatever situation they might be in right now, yet still be destined to hell for eternity. What good is it to be saved from a situation while we ignore their spiritual need? Yes, Jesus came and He healed many, but His chief concern was always the spiritual well-being of a person. You know, we, we tend to focus only on the earthly, physical needs of those around us. Early last year, I visited our Marmette campus and attended not only their Sunday morning service, but also the Sunday school before. And the lesson that day, it wasn't really anything special. It was, just, it was just a simple lesson from one of those old like Sunday school workbooks. But it's stuck with me ever since. In the lesson, it told the story of a man who once recorded the prayer requests of a church group and then categorized them into earthly and spiritual. And when they had accumulated all the requests, he went down through and looked at the 30 or so requests that had been given the group, or given by the group and found that only three of them were spiritual in nature. Now, if we think about our own groups, or even more specifically, our own prayer request, how many of them have ever been spiritual in nature? More to the point, how many of our requests center around us having a good life free of trouble rather than a spiritual need? Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that praying for earthly things is wrong. I'm just saying that we often forget that our greatest need, above all those things, is spiritual. You know, we may roll our eyes at the health and wealth gospel that we see preached on TV, but we have a tendency to subconsciously live that out and preach that belief 
with our own lives. Our prayers are more about prosperity and protection than they are about making disciples and saving the lost. And the sooner, that, I think the sooner that we can start to decouple and deconstruct the idea that, that being a follower of Jesus means that you have an earthly good life, a life that is blessed, the sooner that we can break up those two, the quicker we can focus on reaching people. The disciples, the Apostle Paul, their lives were not better for following Jesus. Yet somehow we've come to that conclusion in our country especially. And I honestly think that that plays a role in people leaving their faith behind because they feel like they've been sold a bill of false goods. You told, I, I, you told me, you, you, I see that it seems like that following Jesus means that I get to have this good life, that he'll just give me all of these blessings. Why am I in this situation now then? It's never what was promised. Our greatest blessing, the greatest expression of God's love, is that he sent his son Jesus, his only son Jesus, to pay the price for our sins so we could spend eternity with the Father in heaven. This world is evil, and evil things are always going to be happening every day. But no matter what happens, God has provided a light at the end of the tunnel, a hope of something more to come, and he made it so that this is not all that there ever is. And that should be enough for us. Our greatest need is spiritual. And for us to hear that God sent his son Jesus so we may not perish but have eternal life, yet turn around and go, okay, but what else? Minimizes the cross and the empty tomb. So yes, let's take all of our cares and anxieties and requests to the Lord, but let us never forget that our greatest need above all those things and our one's greatest need is spiritual. And there are so many people out there that only have this world and the evil that it brings because they don't know Jesus. This is all that they'll ever know because they don't know Jesus. They don't have that hope. And it's up to all of us to change that. And that's why we're doing this. That's what Pray for One is all about. Seeking the lost and making disciples so they can know Jesus, repent, and be saved. But sometimes it doesn't come as easy as we would hope. And this is another lesson we can learn. You should expect some resistance along the way as you pray for your one. Your one may resist your efforts. Like the religious leaders of Mark 2, the people in the life of your one may start seeing a change in themselves and, and then resist your efforts and they will try to pull your one back. And that's okay. Don't be discouraged. Keep praying because God is faithful, and if he gave you a name, he's not going to abandon you in the mission. Paul says in Philippians 1.6, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Yes, there will be times of discouragement, but don't lose hope because love perseveres and endures all things, so love your one enough to keep praying for them daily, even in the face of resistance. This morning, we want to take some action steps, develop an action plan from this story in Mark chapter 2. And so, what does that look like? Well, once we have a name, once we've written it down and spiritually owned it, well, what do we do next? Well, first, you pray for your one. And that sounds, that one's kind of obvious, right? It's so obvious. In fact, I just numbered it zero. I didn't even give it a one. I just started with zero. It's like a preamble, right? At this stage, 
You may not know exactly what to pray or, or how to pray for your one at this time, but just pray. You and God will get it worked out as you go. You talk to God and then, and this one's hard for us, then we let him talk to us. Remember a few weeks ago we talked about silent prayer? Well, this is where we should be using that. If we're going to be praying for our one, shouldn't we be allowing time for God to speak and lead us in the best way to reach them? We need to take time to be silent and allow the Holy Spirit to whisper to our heart. Martin Luther, the Protestant Reformation leader, once said, the fewer the words, the better the prayer. Commit to serious prayer for your one. Set aside time and your day to pray. Maybe set an alarm or a reminder for every morning to, to pray for your one. I mean, you've committed to praying for this person. You've taken a spiritual responsibility for this person. So make it a priority to pray for this person every day. All right, so you're actually praying for your one. So what are the next steps? Well, let's get to number one then, and that is to do whatever it takes. Do whatever it takes. The, the four friends here in Mark chapter 2 were willing to do whatever it took to help their one. They weren't going to be deterred by the size of the crowd or any of the barriers or obstacles that were before them. They were a determined bunch to get this man to Jesus. They did what it took, even though it was unconventional and unexpected. They were unrelenting. And that needs to be our attitude with our one as well. We need to be, doing, be willing to do whatever it takes when it comes to our one. Don't be deterred by the roadblocks that Satan is almost certainly going to throw in your path along the way. This isn't going to be easy. People have a life that they, that they love to lead, and they don't maybe even know that Jesus is what's missing. It's not going to be an easy road. If it was easy, well, we wouldn't need God. We wouldn't need to pray. We would just do it. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. And I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I, might sh that I may share with them in its blessings. Paul was willing to do. Paul was on mission. It was his mission to reach the lost, and he was willing to do whatever it took to reach them. Can we say the same about us? The last seven words of a dying church are, we've never done it that way before. If we want a different result, then we're going to have to try a different method. And that's why we're doing Pray for One, and as part of that, well, you might have to try new things with your one, new methods to reach out to your one. So this morning, let me tell you some of the things I think it's going to take for us to reach them. If we're going to do whatever it takes, going to be willing to do whatever it takes, here's some things I think it might take. I think it's going to take words to reach them. Words of prayer, yes, but you're going to actually have to talk to your one. I, I know that's, I mean, that might seem, sound obvious, but you're going to have to talk to your one. It's going to take words of affirmation and words of encouragement. 
Pray for an opportunity to talk to them. Get to know them better. Find out what they're like. We can reach people better and love people better if we know them better. Now listen, this might come as a shock, might be news to some of you, but you're not Jesus. If you're going to take anything from this this morning, you're not Jesus. You're welcome. Goodbye. No. You're not Jesus. I'm not Jesus. None of us are. So we can't just perceive like Jesus did in this story. You can't read minds, so guess what? That means we have to engage in conversation with people, with our one. It's going to take words over time, over several conversations. You can't just have one conversation to go, all right, I'm done, I did it. And it's, guess what? And you know what, guys, I, I don't want to harp on you only here, but I feel like as a guy, this speaks to me, it's going to take more than just the head nod. What's up, right? It's going to take more than that. It's going to take more than just a hey to reach your one. Hey, right? Honey, I did it. I, I reached, I talked to my one this morning. Hey, it's going to take a little bit more than that. We're going to have to talk to our one. We're going to have to commit to building a relationship with our one. I also think it's going to take action. It's going to take acts of service and acts of humility. It's going to mean writing cards and sending texts. It's going, to be, it's going to mean making meals and shaking hands and giving hugs and making phone calls and paying visits. It's going to take effort. And it's going to take love. Remember, in this life, you can be a whole lot of things. But as the Apostle Paul said, without love, you are nothing but a noisy gong. Friends, don't be a noisy gong. Love your one. Do whatever it takes to save them because you love them so much. Our second action step then, after do, being willing to do, to do whatever it takes, is to bring them to Jesus. And this is what it's all about, right? Sometimes we think that evangelism, evangelism is about getting them to church. Man, if I can just get them to a church service, it's going to be great. It means I've done my job. If I can just get them in the building, and then once I get them there, well, it's, you, you do it now. You take care of that for me, all right? If I can just get them there, and while I'm flattered about that, and I think I do an okay job, that's not really how it works. In fact, for your one, all of you are so much more effective than I will ever be because you know them better. You love them more than I will. So we have to bring them to Jesus. We have to take a personal responsibility for our one to bring them to know Jesus. He's the only one that can meet their greatest need, their spiritual need, which is the forgiveness of their sins. We see this in Mark chapter 2. Jesus, he healed the paralyzed man, yes, but first he forgave his sins. We have to bring them to Jesus because salvation is found under no other name than his. Jesus is what makes us different. Jesus is what makes Christianity stand out from all the other world religions. People may try to say that there are similarities between the others. People may try to say that there are many paths to eternal life. But sometimes I feel like Peter in John chapter 6, where after many of the earliest followers of Jesus turned away, Jesus turns around to his 12 and he says, are you going to leave too? And Peter responds, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. We have to bring our ones to Jesus because He is the cure for what truly ails them. So this morning, 
We have our names. If you haven't written a name yet, maybe it'll be today that you write it down. Or maybe you're still praying for that name to come and you'll write it next week. Regardless, it's time to do whatever it takes to bring them to Jesus. And when they come to Jesus, it'll be the greatest moment of their life. It'll be one of the greatest moments of your life. And when one finds their way to Jesus and we've thrown a party, here's what you do next. You pray for another one. We mentioned that this Pray for One idea came from a man named Bo Chansey. He's a minister in New Hampshire. And in his book, Pray for One, Chansey writes, I have never met anyone who prayed for one, got one, and then thought that one was enough. Pray for one. Do whatever it takes. Bring them to Jesus. Pray for another one. Let's pray. Father God, we're so thankful that we can gather here in your house this morning. Gather together and hear from your word. And we can be here and worship you for all that you are. Father, this morning I pray that there would be a stirring in our hearts. That if we're not praying for one already, that you would give us a name as we leave this morning. This Over the next few days that we would have a name that we could... Find somebody in our life that we love enough to say, you don't have a relationship with Jesus, but I know that that's your greatest need right now. And yes, that we would love on these people. We would be friends with these people. We'd be in the lives of these people and actually care about these people. But always remember that their greatest need is spiritual. That without a relationship with Jesus, everything else is meaningless. Everything else has to fall in line after a relationship with your son, Jesus. Because Jesus is the only way, the only way to you. This world wants to give us different paths and different truths. The only truth is that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And if we want to provide people with hope, if we want to provide hope to the hopeless, we need to be telling them about Jesus because he is the only way that we get to spend eternity with you, Father. He's the only way out of this evil world to a place where there is no more pain or sickness or tears. That we would get to spend eternity in heaven with you, Father. Father, I pray that we would love people enough to care enough about their spiritual well-being, to care enough about their salvation, And that, Father, you would start a revival in our hearts to be praying for these ones so that a revival can start in theirs. Father, that we might see revival in our community, in our schools, in our state, our country, this whole world. But it would all start in the heart of our one. Father, we thank you so much that you loved all of us so much that you would send your only son Jesus to go to the cross for each of us to pay the atonement for our sins yesterday today and forevermore that while we were still sinners you sent your son Jesus to save us because you loved us that much and so we're so thankful for the cross that the blood of Jesus has washed us clean we're more thankful for the empty tomb 
where we can see proof that the darkness can never overcome the light. That the evils of this world can never, never overcome King Jesus because he has overcome the world. He has overcome death and reigns on high forever. Father, I pray that we leave this place this morning and tell others about the love of Jesus and the relationship they can have with him. Thank you so much for your love and for your amazing grace. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I mentioned last week, or I mentioned at the beginning of my message that last week we started a new kind of response time. And and during this time, here in just a moment, we're going to give you some, just a couple quiet moments to come up and take communion. Communion is such an important part of what we do every week here at Gateway because it is a time that you can come and just spend this quiet time with God, just coming back into communion with Him. There is so much craziness and chaos in our life. Some of it created by us, some of it not. You may just be limping in here on a Sunday morning like you barely made it. So communion is so important as a time of reflection of the sacrifice that has been paid for you, that Jesus went to the cross for you because he loved you that much, that your sins have been washed away. And then just spend some time in examination, okay, where do I need to, to refocus on Jesus? Where do I need to refocus my life on him to get back in line with where I need to be as a Christ follower. And so here in just a moment, when I finish up, we're going to give you a couple moments to come on your own time and just come up and grab. we got two stations in the front and one in the back. We keep our, uh, our bread and juice together. You can just grab a single unit there and take it back to your seat and just spend that time in reflection in communion with God. And then we're going to play a couple songs. And over the course of those songs, if you haven't written a name yet, got markers up here. We'd love for you to just write down the first name of your one. The person that you're praying for for that relationship. For them, Maybe it's a brand new relationship. Maybe it's coming back to the Father waiting with wide open arms. You're praying for them that, that God would move through you and that relationship in a big way so that they would have this active relationship with Jesus. So you can spend that time. You can come up and write the name up there. And you can choose to sing with us, along with us, or you can choose to just be there in silent prayer for your one. Not that this would be the only time during the week that you pray for them, but just that it, maybe it starts today. Maybe you haven't been doing it. Maybe you've just not done great with that this week. This can be a reset button. You say, from, from now on, I'm going to spend that time, intentional time with the Lord in prayer for my one. And it starts today. So you can spend that time during these songs. If you, if you, would, you want to do that instead of singing, that's, that's great. The other type of response that we have is our typical type of response. And I'll be right up front here. If you, want, if you want some prayer over what's going on in your life and you just need to involve God in that situation, I'd love to come alongside you and pray with you over whatever might be going on. Just bring God into that situation. But the greatest thing that can happen if you don't have that relationship with Jesus already and you've come here this morning, you feel like you, like God is saying that it's time to make that decision, the greatest decision you could ever make and there's no better day than today that you might have come in here a sinner caught in your old life and you, you feel God tugging on your heart to say I, I, I surrender I give it all up to Jesus to make him the Lord and the King of my life that you might have walked in here one person but you're going to walk out here a new creation with your sins washed away through the waters of baptism. You have that decision to make. I'd love to talk to you about what that looks like. 
and we can all celebrate with you that you walked out a new creation, somebody that has the hope of eternity with the Father. So here in just a moment, we'll give you a couple moments to come and take communion, and then as you can see on the slide, there's many different ways that you can respond. Let's just head into that time.